<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, broadcasting live from Shelter in Place, my home office in Portland. And on the line with us is the good Paul Ryan, Paul S. Ryan, the Vice President for Policy and Litigation at Common Cause, commoncause.org. The Paul S. Ryan is his Twitter handle. Paul, welcome back to the program and thank you for joining us today. I want to talk to you about Mike Flynn and Bill Barr. Can you start out by giving us a sketch of exactly what were the crimes that Michael Flynn committed uh, as a starting point? Michael Flynn lied to the FBI when being questioned by the FBI, and he admitted this. Um, so there's no dispute about that fact. He lied, he admitted it, he pleaded guilty, um, and now DOJ has proposed letting him off the hook anyway. My understanding is that he lied to the FBI about two things. Number one, that he was in the employ, that he'd taken a half million dollars from the government of Turkey for Mr. Erdogan to, to make sure that Turkey's interests were well taken care of. And the other was that he met with uh, Sergei Kislyak, the Russian ambassador to the United States, while President Obama was still president, after Obama imposed sanctions on Russia for meddling in the election, and told Kislyak, don't worry, uh, you know, when Trump comes in, we got this under control. And as a result of that, Russia did not retaliate for those sanctions, which was something that pretty much has never happened before. Do I have that right, Paul? Yeah, that, that's correct. So why is this not a crime, according to Bill Barr? According to Bill Barr, it's not a crime because the things that Flynn lied about, according to Bill Barr, were not material to any legitimate investigation by the FBI or the Department of Justice that was underway at the time he was questioned. And that materiality is part of the crime. That's one of the elements of the crime to which Flynn pleaded guilty. But wait a minute. You've got a guy who, is, who not, does not hold any federal office. He's working for the Trump campaign. Trump has not been sworn into office yet. Barack Obama is president. And this guy now has access to our most secret classified information because of, because of the job that he's holding, incoming national security advisor. He is taking money, taking a half million bucks from Turkey on the down low. Nobody knows about it yet. And he is telling 
Russia don't, you know, just ignore the policy of the president of the United States. I mean, I, I would think that any other normal citizen who who was doing those kinds of things in the kind of position he was in, I sure as hell want the FBI to, to be checking out somebody who is in the employ of a foreign government and who is betraying our government to a to another foreign government, you know, in that kind of a position. I, I, how is that not something the FBI should be looking at? Yeah, I think Bill Barr's argument here is absurd. So I want to be clear about that. And, you know, earlier I was responding to your question of what's Bill Barr's argument. I don't agree with it. I agree with you, Tom. The argument is absurd. But when, you know, Barr really has to do some mental gymnastics in order to reach the conclusion that these this prosecution should be dropped. And part of his story that he's trying to tell the court, trying to convince the court here, is that um, the original investigation into Flynn was over any involvement he may have had in Russia's interference in our 2016 election. And that investigation had pretty much wound down by the time the FBI became aware of Flynn's conversations with Russia's ambassador on a different topic. So Barr says, um, yeah, even though this original uh, investigation was legitimate and an independent inspector general within the Department of Justice has concluded that that investigation, the original investigation related to Russia's interference in our elections, was legitimate. Barr says, so this interview didn't have to do with that original purpose for the investigation. Therefore, the interview itself was uh, illegitimate. And anything he said, any lies he told during that interview, therefore, should not be prosecuted. It's a crazy argument. There's no precedent for an argument of this sort being made by the Department of Justice, to my knowledge. Um, It's crazy. And I hope Judge Sullivan rejects it, at least in part. And maybe, you know, if we have time, we can get into a little bit about what the next steps are here. Well, I, yeah, let's let's do that right now. Uh, Judge Emma Sullivan has, uh, instead of saying to the Justice Department, OK, thank you very much. You're dropping charges. That's the end of that. Flynn has already pled guilty twice. And my understanding is that a guilty plea is the same thing as a conviction in a court of law. It's it's a it's a the end point of a process, not the beginning of a process. And therefore, even if you say, oh, you know, we don't want him to go to jail anymore. or We don't want to prosecute him anymore. It's already a done deal, isn't it? And, and yeah, Sullivan so the, is opening this the, thing up to third party comments. Yeah. So where things were back in January was that Flynn was on his way to sentencing. He had pleaded guilty. The judge has accepted that guilty plea. Um, also, it's worth noting that part of that guilty plea was probably a calculus by the FBI. They, they agreed to this guilty plea in exchange for Flynn's cooperation in the Russia investigation. So he probably could have been, right. perhaps should have been charged with other crimes, but he got off the hook on those crimes, was only ch- charged with lying to the federal government. He was on his way to sentencing in January. He then asked the judge if he could um, if he could withdraw his guilty plea, and the judge said, I'll think about it. Rescheduled sentencing for late February, and then decided he wanted to hear some uh, more from the DOJ and, and Flynn's lawyers and requested another round of briefing on that question before sentencing. So he indefinitely postponed sentencing. And it's in that context that the DOJ, at the not only at the 23rd hour, but at the 23rd hour and 59th minute, comes in and says, wait a minute, we're not going to prosecute him. So now what's before Judge Sullivan? Judge Sullivan has a motion to dismiss. He needs to rule on this motion to dismiss from the DOJ, motion to dismiss the charges. DOJ is asking him to do so with prejudice, which would mean that the DOJ in the future, say January or February of next year, if there's a different AG, couldn't go after Flynn for this again. 
one option for, and as you mentioned, mm. uh, Judge Sullivan has, uh, has now asked or invited amicus briefs, amici briefs, friends of the court to come in and, say, uh, and to argue to the judge whether or not they, he should grant this motion to dismiss. One option is to grant the motion to dismiss, but to do it without prejudice, leaving open the possibility that charges could be brought again next year with a new attorney general. The other so, possibility I should I should also mention is that see- one other possibility here is Judge Sullivan could just reject, deny this motion to dismiss, and proceed to sentencing. Deny the motion to dismiss, deny the request by Flynn to withdraw his guilty plea, and just sentence Flynn. I think that's less likely than the dismissal, wow. um, the dismissal without prejudice that would leave the door open for a future prosecution. Right. Although there's going to be some strong front of the court briefs, amicus briefs, arguing just that point. We've seen now Paul Manafort getting out of jail on a compassionate release. And Michael Cohen, the the prisons wanted to let him out because it was just, you know, fit within the guidelines. But apparently uh, Trump said no. And so Michael Cohen gets to stay in jail. It seems to me like what we have here is, you know, between Manafort and Flynn, a cover up on behalf of Donald Trump. I mean, these guys committed their crimes on behalf of, to to some extent, on behalf of Donald Trump. Um, What might Flynn be covering up that uh, Trump doesn't want known, that he's been dangling this pardon over Flynn all all these, uh, you know, for a year and a half, two years, um, basically to keep him quiet? Well, there's a lot that's unknown today about the full extent of President Trump's relationship with Russia with Vladimir Putin and other Russian agents, with Russian banks, Russian financing for Trump's businesses over the um, recent decades. So it's hard to say what Flynn might be covering up. But um, the other thing I want to mention here is that in any other administration, Bill Barr would be on the chopping block for impeachment here. Um, You know, Bill Barr, this isn't Bill Barr's first outrageous move. He's done a lot of crazy, unacceptable things, including meddling in the Russia investigation, including meddling in the Ukraine gate investigation. Um, Common Cause last year called for Bill Barr's impeachment and removal from office. And I think if it weren't Donald Trump in the White House, drawing all the attention with even crazier, less appropriate, or I should say more inappropriate and potentially illegal behavior, we'd be talking about impeachment of Bill Barr. But it's not getting any attention because uh, the you know, President Trump himself and his outrageous actions are sucking up all the oxygen in the room. Well, and let me add to that. In 1992, when Bill Barr was the attorney general for George Herbert Walker Bush, first he buried, he deep-sixed the Iraq, what was called the Iraq Gate investigation, which was the selling of weapons of mass destruction by the the Reagan-Bush administration to Saddam Hussein. And that caused William Sapphire, the New York Times columnist, to start referring to him as cover-up General Barr. And then look at the December 25th, Christmas Day, New York Times, screaming three line, three line headline, all caps, giant cover up, because Bill Barr advised George Herbert Walker Bush to pardon Casper Weinberger and the other five guys that they were prosecuting because they were closing in on George Herbert Walker Bush. He had, you know, Lawrence Walsh had just subpoenaed his diaries and they were going to nail him for Iran-Contra, and Bill Barr covered that up, too. I mean, people have completely forgot about this. You can easily look it up. Anyhow, Paul S. Ryan, thank you so much for dropping by, Vice President of Policy and Litigation at CommonCause.org. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. I asked this question, how long do you think that this damage is going to last? I'd like to extend that a little bit. 
and ask even a larger question that I think all of us should be talking about, and I'm astonished that the media isn't talking about. Donald Trump has charged 20 Americans with criminal activity. Now, I'm not talking about the Justice Department. I'm not talking about the mechanism of institutional government, although they have gone after Richard Burr, and I'll get to that in just a second. But, you know, the Republican senator from, I believe it's North Carolina. But Donald Trump keeps saying that people are committing crimes. Now, if you don't remember Barack Obama ever arguing that people in the Bush administration committed crimes, or people in his own administration who were Democratic appointee or Republican appointees committed crimes, or members of Congress committed crimes, or anybody else committed crimes, that's because he never did. If you don't remember George W. Bush saying that you know, people had committed crime, it's because he never did. Or Bill Clinton, or George Herbert Walker Bush, or Ronald Reagan, or Jimmy Carter, or Richard Nixon, or Jerry Ford, or John Kennedy, or Lyndon Johnson, or Dwight Eisenhower, or even Harry Truman. I'm, pretty, I'm, pro I'm probably pretty much through the lifetime of anybody who might be watching or listening to this program. None of us remember any of those presidents charging people with crimes. I'm not talking about using the legal system. I'm talking about using their voices, using their bully pulpit. And the reason it's never happened before in the history of the United States, even Abraham Lincoln was reluctant to use that kind of language. The reason it's never happened before is because that's the kind of thing that tyrants, despots, autocrats, dictators, and fascists do. We are watching in real time, 20 times in the last five days, and the media is, you know, pointing it out, but they're, they're using words like, it's unusual that he's talking like, BS, it's not unusual. It's fascism. This is how authoritarians talk. When Rodrigo Duterte, the president of the Philippines, started talking about how drug dealers and drug users probably should be killed because they're such criminals, his police went out and without any judicial process whatsoever, murdered over 10,000 of them. I mean, this, these are the steps to authoritarianism. These are the steps to fascism. First, you start calling people criminals. Well, actually, first you start calling the press the enemy of the people and diminish the credibility and, and uh, you know, faith in the press. And then you start promoting lies and alternative stories that conflict with what the press is reporting. And then you start calling the people who are calling you out criminals. And then you start punishing your enemies and helping your friends. And that's where we're at right now. Which is, which is really pretty friggin' breathtaking when you think about it. I mean, here we have... Here we have the Justice Department going after, and this was, this was pretty shocking, the Justice Department going after a sitting senator. Right? This is something that just generally does not happen. You don't have sitting senators being in the crosshairs of the Department of Justice. It, it shouldn't happen, you know, absolutely shouldn't happen. And, and here it is. Richard Burr is the... Uh, is the Republican, here we go, 
Richard Burr is the Republican chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. He's the guy who led the investigation that said, yes, Russia interfered in our election to help Donald Trump. He signed off on that. He said uh, that he said that they were that they had done it before and that they were going to do it again. And so now the the FBI just busted Burr. They went after and they just took his cell phone and they're and they're going you know from his home. They went into his home with a search warrant and took his his cell phone. And now they're looking for all his stuff in the cloud. They're saying it's because he was engaging in insider trading. Well, it certainly looks like he was engaging in insider trading. But so is Kelly Loeffler, the senator from Georgia, whose husband is the president of the New York Stock Exchange. She was, too, if the records, are, if the records that we used to criticize Burr are accurate. They, they also show that Loeffler, as soon as these two got this intelligence briefing, they went out and sold millions of dollars worth of stock. But the FBI is not going after Loeffler because Loeffler speaks well of Trump. Burr, who generally speaks well of Trump, has said, yeah, the Russians wanted him for president. And Trump now has taken him down. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. You are listening to the program where despair is not an option. Join us. Get out there. Get active. Richard in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind? Well, I'm calling about a five-page letter that I got from my congressman. This was back in 1974. And in 1974, I was a B-52 navigator and flying out of Thailand and bombing Cambodia under Richard Nixon's agreement with the Lanau government to fly 60 sorties a day over Cambodia. Well, I wrote a five-page letter to my congressman after hearing Richard Nixon say in his Memorial Day speech in 1974 that for the first time in 12 years, we can celebrate Memorial Day as a peacetime nation. And I just dropped uh, 105, 750-pound bombs over Cambodia. It didn't feel very, very uh, peaceful. All right. Uh, I, I wrote this letter, and uh, I told... Uh, told my congressman, Roy Taylor, from the 11th District of North North Carolina that uh, we were bombing Cambodia, and it was uh, during the time of the gas crunch, and we were wasting all kinds of gas and stuff like that. And uh, I sent the letter. Uh, I cheated. I sent it to my sister. She'd been his secretary for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I uh, said, please give this to Roy Taylor. Well, I he got the letter, and the letter I got back came back and said, Dear Captain Lindsay, I was not aware that we were bombing Cambodia. Well, and he says, I checked, checked with a friend of mine in the House Armed Services Committee, and he said he wasn't aware that we were bombing Cambodia. Yeah, this is Nixon's secret war. Yeah. Uh, so, well, so what's the punchline here, Len? Where are you going with the, this? The punchline is he also he forwarded a copy of my letter and a, to the House and Senate Armed Services Committee, and uh, on the fifth, this was on the at you know after Memorial Day of '74, and mm-hmm. on the 15th of August of 1974, I was on the last mission that flew over Cambodia. And I found out later there was a 
retrospective of it in 1983 on uh, on on a PBS special, and it said that a captain uh, from Cambodia blew the whistle on it. So I hired a, so that was I hired you. a whistleblower. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you. Well, I was just going to say, it seems to me like the, the moral of your story is never underestimate the power of one person speaking up. Right. And it's fair. You say that it's we got to get out there and do our thing. And, you know, I'm getting out there and doing my thing. That's like the, every time I talk to somebody who's telling me how wonderful $1,200 is, I say, how much? How are you going to do with $1,200 over 10 weeks in uh, Washington, D.C.? Right. Or, or yeah. pretty much anywhere else also. Len, great yeah, story. Well, but, thank you very much. And, and yeah. thanks for sharing it with us. And, and thanks for getting out there. Marion in South Beach, Oregon. Hey, Marion, what's up? Hi, Tom. Um, thanks for having me on. And uh, my point is, uh, with the coronavirus and all this resistance, um, if I go out in the street in my town and I shoot somebody, I'm going to end up in jail. Um, that's just the way our laws work. You can't sure. just go out and kill people. If I go out into my community and I infect four people with the coronavirus and five people die because they're giving it to other people, I'm considered fighting for my freedom. There's something very wrong with that concept, and I feel like people who go around not wearing masks when they're mandated to do so, and people who literally spit on people who wear masks and infect them, which you mentioned the other day on your show, they should be prosecuted. Um, that's not just well, in America. That's not democracy. And so with that, <coughs> I'll let you talk about on the air what you think. Okay. Thank you, Marion. Uh, and, and you set this up perfectly. I have a story here. In fact, I just printed it out a little bit ago about Cynthia Myers, 33, a woman walked into the Amita Health Mercy Medical Center in Aurora, Illinois, and complaining about breathing issues, thought she had COVID. The nurse asked her to fill out a form and she spit in the nurse's face and walked out. She has now been arrested and she's being charged with assault. So maybe we're going to see more of this kind of stuff. I don't know, but uh, I think your point is well taken. Tom in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I'm wondering the media hasn't covered this. Or Aside from his narcissism, he doesn't seem to be enjoying this job. and he's, He knows he's not qualified. What, what, what is he so motivated to get reelected? Is it just to stay out of prison? I think it's a couple of things, Tom. Number one, Trump was deeply in debt when this all started. Uh, you know, Michael Moore builds the case that the only reason that he ran for president was to try to basically squeeze an extra $2 million a year in salary out of NBC for his apprentice show. Uh, Gwen Stefani was making more money than he was, and it outraged him. Um, and I think that he's figured out a way to actually make money off the presidency. He's, you know, I mean, literally millions, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. And his son-in-law was able to get a billion dollars because his daddy was president or his father-in-law. So, uh, you know, I think that there's a tremendous benefit to him in that regard. But I, but I, I think, frankly, uh, you nailed it. I think the other half of it is that, is that uh, he, he believes, and he may be right, I mean, Bill Barr certainly seems to be making it right, um, that as long as he's president, he can't be prosecuted. Supreme Court is hearing that case this week. They'll be ruling on it in two or three months. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, and he may lose interest in, in retaining the White House if he loses his immunity. On the other hand, if he uh, gains his immunity, if the, if the Supreme Court rules in his favor and 
you know, he's got two guys that he put on the Supreme Court and he's got a solid conservative majority. They may well do that. If they do that, then I think he's going to fight like hell to stay in the White House for another four years. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, I, I uh, th- thanks for clearing that up because uh, he's not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a retired school teacher, classroom, uh, 35, 40 years. I've come out of retirement um, to teach online uh, because, I, you know, I want to help parents out. And it's amazing, something you should check out, OutSchool. Uh, OutSchool is hiring thousands of teachers. And uh, they before COVID, they were, they were teaching 80,000 kids annually. They added 20,000 kids in two months. Wow. It's a remarkable program. I really, I had a kid from Alaska, a kid from New Zealand, somebody from Iowa in my class today. And uh, it's just an wow, opportunity for your listeners. I teach global awareness and uh, things for kids to collect. So uh, it's all yeah. about mapping and I collect things from all over the world, and I use it's very heavily artifact-driven, and it's been successful so far. So it's a wonderful opportunity for teachers to give back right now, to add, get some extra income, out school. Can't say enough mm-hmm. about it. Fascinating. Okay, Tom, thank you. Thanks for the call, too. What an extraordinary time, right? Back to this prosecutor, uh, this district attorney, George Barnhill. He has worked in this rural corner of Georgia since uh, 1983. There was this campaign by, uh, oh, this is what he did. He prosecuted this black woman for voter fraud because she helped somebody, she helped somebody who didn't know how to use a voting machine, showed that person how to use a voting machine. And Brian Kemp wanted to make an example of her. And Barnhill was the guy who did it. That's right, that's the story. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Uh, Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hey, Tom. Great to talk with you. I had to call you in regards to the Supreme Court hearing that's going on. And yes, you recall back when Trump had said to a bunch of police officers in Nassau County, which was um, seen nationwide, telling cops not to be so cordial with the people you come across, go ahead and bang their heads on the car hoods, rough them up and show them who's boss. And I heard one other person rightfully refer to that as using cops as props. But then, you know, he's setting a precedence that law enforcement is absolute, no questions asked. But then you look back at a couple of weeks ago when he says, liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia, and you see his base acting the fool, going into storming these state capitol buildings armed with um, guns and very hostile, considerably violent manner, confronting law enforcement, and he praises them for doing that. So you got two sides of this going on right now. And with this Supreme Court, supposedly to decide if Trump is above the law. Number one, we all know that he's not and supposed to stay that way. But I want everyone to consider that people who are rooting for Trump, if, if the Supreme Court lets him get away with all of this and say that he is above the law, I'm sorry, I cannot put it past the other things that he said in terms of violating women and violating others, Supreme Court better consider they have families also, and you may be just giving him the green light to violate them and violate others like you and me, God forbid. That's how scary this is. 
Yeah, it was it was bizarre hearing those arguments. Brett Kavanaugh kept uh, trying to distract and, and deflect. You know, they were talking about records in civil cases, and Kavanaugh says, "Well, what about medical records?" And they're like, "We're not talking about medical records." Well, couldn't he subpoena? Uh, you know, couldn't they subpoena the medical records of the president's kids and grandkids? You know, no, we're not talking about that, uh, Kavanaugh. I mean, it, it was just it was bizarre. It was absolutely bizarre. And, and uh, you know, the, keep in mind, these are the same lawyers, and Michael, your, your point is well taken. These are the same lawyers who argued that literally, I mean, they literally argued this in a lower court, that if Donald Trump walked out onto Fifth Avenue with a gun and started shooting people, not only could he not be investigated, not only could he not be prosecuted, he could not even be arrested, he could not even be stopped you just have to let him keep shooting until the bullet was out of guns. And if he got another gun, you just have to stand there and watch. That was the argument that they made that is now before the Supreme Court. That Donald Trump is fully and truly above the law. Which is, you know, as Michael points out, it's, it's kind of bizarre, if not ironic. On the one hand, he's saying, government can't do anything. Government should have no authority. I am the supreme head of government. I have all the authority. I can do whatever I want and no one can stop me. You know, it's like heads meet tails. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. Jane in Gadsden, Alabama. Hey, Jane, what's on your mind today? I've been listening to what you've been saying. And uh, first of all, Trump should be uh, impeached and, and he should be charged with negligence and corruption. He should be taken from office. But anyway, what I called to talk about was this packing industry. And I was a P-Niner in, in 1985, and I, I lost my job in a hormone strike in Austin, Minnesota. We were dealing so with you were the same issues then. I mean, this coronavirus is just another example of how these companies do not care about their employees. If they wanted to keep killing hogs and killing cattle, they need to hire a few extra people. They need to test everybody. And they could keep those plants running. But, you know, Hitler came to power in a country that was financially ruined. And this coronavirus and what these companies are doing, it's going to happen all over again. And I agree with you when you say that Trump isn't going to leave office no matter what happens, because the elections are going to be hit and miss at best if this coronavirus is still going on. But Trump should be charged with criminal negligence and dereliction of duty, and he should be put in jail. Yeah. No other way uh, around Merrill? it. Merrill, I'm, I, I am with you, or at least removed from office. And, and I think that, you know, and let just, and Merrill, thank you for the call, and let justice happen, right? Uh, you know, let New York go after him for bank fraud and for securities fraud and, and for tax fraud, let the IRS go after him for tax fraud and all the other. I mean, the New York Times laid it out. They did, the, they did a, I think they might have won a Pulitzer for it. It was a huge piece that they did two years ago where they deconstructed the entire scam that Trump and his sister did to take uh, to plunder his father's estate of hundreds of millions of dollars and avoid paying taxes. Not avoid, um, you know, fraudulently not pay taxes on it. He ran a fraudulent university in Arizona. He ran. How many people do you know who can bankrupt a casino? And he sold stock in those casinos when they were in trouble, sold millions and millions of dollars in stock, took a forty five million dollar paycheck himself, put it in his back pocket and then bankrupted them. So the stockholders were left with nothing. I mean, that's what we've got in the White House, and that's what he's doing to our country. I didn't, by the way, say that I don't think he'll ever leave. I am hopeful that he does. Um, but I do think that part of the Republican strategy right now, having to do with this election coming up in November, uh, hangs on, in part, this story that got you know, pretty good coverage a couple of days ago 
that a very high percentage of Democrats are reluctant to leave their homes. Democrats are watching CNN, MSNBC, Free Speech TV. You know, they're listening to real news. They're reading the newspapers, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, I mean, you know, Chicago Tribune. They, they are well informed and therefore they, and, and they know that even children can die from this disease and do and are and have. Young people, you, know, you may be talking about a lifetime neurological damage, lifetime kidney damage, lifetime heart damage. This, this disease shortens lives. Democrats are reluctant to leave their homes. Republicans, on the other hand, who are getting their news from right-wing hate radio and Fox and living in a right-wing bubble with Breitbart and, and all these uh, you know, right-wing sites on the internet, Republicans, more than half of Republicans, are enthusiastic to leave their homes. In fact, it's well over half. Most Democrats don't want to leave home. Most Republicans think we should get out there right now. So who's going to show up to vote? in those states that are going to refuse to do mail-in balloting. You think Democrats are going to show up to vote? Well, I mean, you know, this was the bet that the Republicans on the Wisconsin Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court, for that matter, this was the bet that they made with regard to the Wisconsin election. And they lost that bet. Democrats actually did show up to vote. Now, on the other hand, Katie Hill's district, you know, the young woman, a Democrat, who got kind of caught up in a uh, you know, her husband was uh, putting out photos of her that were inappropriate, and she ended up resigning, and it was just a whole sad thing. I, 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 th I thought, frankly, she should have fought it. But a Republican picked up that seat the day before yesterday. And Tuesday, uh, you know, in the election on Tuesday, there were two Republican victories, one in Wisconsin, one in California. The one in California is really troubling. And, uh, you know, because what's happening, I think, is that the, the, the Republicans are digging in. And the Trump uh, PR machine. It's amazing. I mean, I'm getting, I get an email every day from the White House, literally every day, a whole bunch of short bullet pointed articles about what a wonderful job Donald Trump is doing. And if that was all I read, I would think that he was the best president ever. I also get something every day from Chuck Schumer's office, which is unreadable. It's unprintable. It's formatted so you can't print it. It's long and boring and unreadable. Very often it's just quotes from, from speeches he gave. And it's like I'm looking at this going, the Democrats are, are shooting themselves in the foot, and the Republicans are building the Death Star. And that concerns me, too. So anyhow, we'll be back with your calls on all this stuff. You know, how long is it going to take? What's it going to take to recover from this? How much damage has been done both to our democracy, to our public health, and to our economy? What's it going to take to put it back together? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. How long is it going to take to undo the damage of just three and a half years of this man in the White House? Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems 
because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Zach in North Hollywood, California. Hey, Zach, what's on your mind today? I hate to be a smartass, but I have to point out something that hasn't changed in 240 years, and we're still up against it. I've been boiling everything down to three points because people can get their heads around it. One, two, three, war over civility, privilege over labor, and population control. It's been going for 240 years, Tom, and it's not going to change tomorrow morning. Yeah. So that's how long I saw it's going one to take. I saw in one of the blogs this morning, I think it was over at DU, somebody saying, you know, we're witnessing a full-on Jonestown event here. Uh, yeah. You know, Jim Jones believed in his own omnipotence, and, and but he was also a hustler and a con artist and apparently a rapist. And, um, and, you know, once he got outed or once he was about to get outed, you know, congressional delegation coming in from the United States into, into Guyana, um, you know, he, he had he ordered everybody to commit suicide. And that's basically what Trump is doing. He's ordering all his followers 
you know, to go out and get themselves infected. And so, you know, a small percentage of them are going to die as a result. You know, it's it's Jonestown all over again. Hey, Tom, so, real yeah. quick. Uh, and I, I've, I've stopped saying conservative and Republican. This mm. is the inheriting class on steroids via Citizens United. This we're at the end of the track. I mean, this is it. War over civility, yeah. privilege over labor, and population control. We're here. We're the yeah. trains in the station. I cannot yeah. argue with that, Zach. Uh, very well said. Thank you very much for the call. Kim in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Kim, what's up? Oh, God. <laughs> so much since You're I've been on the air. Everybody's talking about everything that's been going through my head for the last two months. My mm. point that nobody's made on the major media is that Trump and Pence were simultaneously at the t- same timeline exposed to COVID, possibly will get sick if they get sick at the same time, which means Pelosi would be in charge. Would that That's not correct. set the trumpets? hair on fire. I mean, they're already doing guns at Capitol buildings, and uh, and I agree with the last guy. Hey, let them get together. Let them infect each other. Um, I'm sick of worrying about stupidity. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand how these people... And they are different. My friend, my best friend voted for Trump, and she is now an out an outed racist, which she never was for 40 years. I mean, um, he has brought out the very worst in people. And if they want to gather in groups, and if they want to, you know, expose each other, go for it. I mean, is that cold or is that wrong? (laughs) I mean, you know. Well, it is. and the purge of the stupid. Yeah. uh, None of us are immune, uh, Kim, to being brainwashed under the right circumstances um, and and with the right brainwashers. And, and, you know, you and I are fortunate enough to have to have remained in the reality based world. I know people I I don't know uh, many of them very well, but I I certainly know people who are are full on Trump and. Some of them are very good and decent people, you know, at, at core. Jen Seiko did this brilliant movie, The Brainwashing of My Dad. Uh, we're going to get her on the show here pretty soon to talk about it, even though that film came out in 2016. It's so relevant today. And it's a documentary about how Fox News turned her father into an angry old racist grump. And um, My how friend when is they... starting to watch Fox News now, and exactly. she is so racist now that's that's what happens and 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 then and then when uh, jen's mom and and jen intervened and and used the parental controls on the tv to make fox news unavailable to their dad uh to her dad uh, her mother's wife or husband um he turned back into a decent person again i mean you know it's it's a temporary thing so um, I'm not wishing death on anybody. I I, I am watching like you know this this, uh, the, this little saying, mini riot in Lansing. Go wrong ahead. for even thinking that, but you know there's only so much you can do for stupid people. Yeah, there is you know. there is a certain point at which you you kind of have to just stand back and and uh, what was it? Uh, I think it was Napoleon said, "When your enemy is destroying himself, don't intervene." Doug, watching us on uh, Twitter Live. Hey, Doug, in Oregon here in Portland. What's up? Thanks for educating me over many years. I also was listening, of course, to the last conversation, and several things came up for me. One is you were talking about 
the epidemic, how scary it is, how strange it is, how upsetting it is. And I got to say, I was wondering whether we were talking about Donald Trump or COVID, because they both feel mm. like epidemics to me. Yeah. A pestilence. You know, it's, yeah. it's like the question for all of Trump's evangelical supporters. Have you noticed that when you put a guy who constantly lies, who's who's an adulterer, who, uh, you know, robs people, who rips people off, who's a hustler and a con man and a grifter, when you put him in the White House, suddenly we had a plague? Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a question yeah. for the evangelicals. Back to you, Sorry. I think not. My question is, you were talking a few minutes ago about reaching out to other people, reaching out to Republicans and people in red communities, and you mentioned Brad Parscale. And what I've been wondering in the last couple of weeks is, and I want to ask you this, is where is our Brad Parscale? Where is our social media strategy that's, that's clever and engaging? I don't feel like I'm seeing it from uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats, and I'm wondering if you know anything about that. I don't know the answer to that question, Doug, and it's a question, it's a question that I should know the answer to. I know that we've got a couple of really good progressive democratic aligned groups. Uh, you've got American Bridge, and if you don't get their newsletter in email, uh, it comes out two, three times a week, and it's just amazing, taking, you know, taking, part, taking Trump apart, basically. American Bridge, you can find it over on their website. Uh, you've got Indivisible, indivisible.org, which is helping uh -huh. coordinate activism all across the United States. Um, but in terms of, of uh, you know, a, a digital media superstar, I mean, you know, now Trump has, has, uh, has hired this company that's owned by Peter Thiel, I believe, you know, the right-wing billionaire, uh, the one who yeah. took down Gawker. And he's got a company that, that slices and dices personal information or, or you know, on, on people all over the country, buys this, buys this information and uses it and create. It's, it's like, you know, the, the mod, I, my understanding of it is, is the modern version of, of, you know, that company that was out of the UK that Trump used last time. And right, so they're doing right. some really, really sophisticated data stuff. I don't know if any Democrats are doing that. And that troubles well, me. I I sure hope so, because I really want this pestilence to end. And it did dawn on me, and this is just my own projection and speculation, Mike, Mike Bloomberg said he would put money and energy into supporting anybody. And boy, I would love to see a big, innovative, engaging campaign spearheaded by, by him or somebody. Yeah, or Tom Steyer. I mean, you, we've got some people who have certainly have the resources to do this kind of thing, whether they have the will. We'll see. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm still waiting for Joe Biden to declare his uh, vice presidential candidate and all that kind of stuff, you know, to roll forward. Now, sometimes candidates don't even do that until the convention. In fact, I think that's probably the norm. But yeah. I, I think it needs to be done sooner. And then, you know, let's just go into full-blown campaign mode and let's start campaigning. Doug, thank you for the call. It is, it is a troubling concern. I'm not yet to the point of hysteria. <laughs> I'm uh, concerned. I'm not yet worried. Tom Hartman here with you. Jonathan, Warwick, Massachusetts. Hey, Jonathan, what's on your mind today? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, problems with the uh, divider in chief. And he sent on a us on a course that we don't see where we can agree together. So, uh, but I end up agreeing with some of my right rightest type of friends because <clears throat> there is truth about the foreign policy of the uh, both governments, uh, both parties, following along and giving cover for each other through most of history. 
especially since well, 9-11. Actually, since 1992, yes. I mean, the, right. the, the Democratic Party was opposed to free trade agreements prior to 92. Clinton changed that. But the Democratic Party itself has never really embraced that. You've, you've all, you know, to this day, prob- probably solidly half, and I would say probably three quarters of the Democratic Party still holds to the belief that we should have protectionist trade policies. Yeah, so Trump used these uh, false promise, uh, false issues that he said um, <clears throat> he, he would use truth to lie to people in order to get the independent vote and the, uh, mm-hmm. the person that's upset with the other side. And so all his promises didn't come true. I mean, he didn't release the JFK files. He didn't do a 9-11 investigation. All these things he promised. He even promised universal health care. But that was to get elected. Once he got elected, it appears the GOP is pulling his strings where he just makes his deal and serves his uh, narcissistic Ego. Yeah, I don't even uh, think it's the GOP, Jonathan. I think it's the right-wing billionaires who, are, who fund so much of the GOP and, you know, who are responsible. And if Robert Mercer hadn't thrown all that money into Trump's campaign, he wouldn't be here. If he hadn't, if he hadn't paid Cambridge Analytica to do the research, you know, uh, and, and, and put together those Facebook ads, Trump wouldn't be president. So he, I think he's you, beholden you, to, the, to the right-wing billionaires. Ray McGovern called it uh, Mickey Matt, military, industrial, congressional, intelligence, media, academia, think tank uh, group. And so, yes, the the, the money people have organized or made this coalition. And uh, I'm not sure what's going to get us out of it. And uh, I'm a little bit um, concerned about, you know, um, the way the politics is going on, because we're still getting into this division and and there's questions about the whole health industry not being for health but being for um you know profit and and the vaccines and the way they've been treating health for all these decades also has led into uh, a control of people so there's um there's a lot of division in that and there's understanding that there should be fear but there should be, you know, let's deal with those underlying health issues so we can allow our own antibodies to um, develop immunity to these things. If, if we trust external vaccines all the time, there's other stuff in there that might hurt the, the immune system. And then another virus comes and we're still in the same place. Uh, I think yeah. the human body is so much more uh, advanced. Yeah, I'm with you, Jonathan. Thank you very much for the call. Ginger and Eureka. Hey, Ginger, what's up? I think this fighting back and forth, attacking Trump, and then saying, I, Biden, am so much more qualified. I think we'd do a whole lot better if everything we're talking about is the Democratic platform, including vote for the Democratic platform, rather than, because the people who are against Trump They don't need to hear it anymore. They're not going to change their minds. And the people who are for Trump, if instead of hearing things about Biden, if they heard this is what Biden is going to do well. Right. Or this is what. Yeah. Providing everybody in the country with health insurance, making sure that every kid in America can go to college, even if it's all the way through med school without ending up deeply in debt. The basic exactly. stuff that every other developed country in the world already has. Providing a social safety net so that if you lose your job, you're not going to starve or get thrown out of your house. <laughs> basic 
human decency stuff, making sure that people across this country, regardless of their race, are not subject to police violence or mob violence, as we're seeing being cranked up right now by Donald Trump and his white uh, supremacist buddies, you know, Stephen Miller et al. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Ginger, and thank you for that. I think it's absolutely time for all of us in Democratic Party and Democratic candidates to start talking about what um, what America could be like if we had a progressive vision. The problem so far is that this 2020 campaign or candidacy of Joe Biden does not yet have a platform, does not yet have a, a, a vice presidential candidate, and therefore does not have anything specific to say other than Trump bad me good. And that's a problem that needs to be fixed immediately. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So now that uh, white kids in New York are dying from COVID, will Trump take it seriously? Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. Hey, Maverick, what's up? Tom, I got a great nickname for uh, the current president, whose name I hate to say. Instead of POTUS, because he's been impeached, we call him Impotus. Yes, you're right. I've seen that before, actually. Yeah, I like it. I like it. The Impotus. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, thanks a lot. Good to hear from you. I mentioned FreedomWorks, this email that I just heard that Barney Rubble just got talking about how Stephen Moore, the guy who said, we need to open the economy. Everybody just wear spacesuits because we all have those, you know, in the closet, right? The brilliant Stephen Moore, the guy who on this program said that uh, capitalism was more important than democracy. (laughs) These guys, uh, FreedomWorks has been sending, uh, you know, I've been on their email list forever. And they've been sent here for a while, for, for a couple of years. And they've been sending out emails. Now, I haven't seen one in a month or three, you know, since coronavirus really kind of took over everything. But they were sending out uh, very aggressively in the last half of last year emails trashing Michelle Obama because she wanted kids to eat more vegetables. And Barack Obama, President Obama, actually put some of those policies into effect by executive order, you know, requiring the school lunch program that is paid for by the federal government. They're requiring the school lunch program to provide kids with vegetables, actual vegetables. You'll recall, this was the law before 1981. And then when Reagan became president, he designated ketchup as a vegetable. Those of you old enough to remember the Reagan presidency know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it was a huge story that lasted for a week. He designated ketchup as a vegetable and other processed products made from vegetables as vegetables And our school lunches started having more and more processed foods, less and less fresh food or or recently cooked fresh foods. And as a consequence, we started seeing obesity explode in our children through the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. Uh, Bill Clinton dialed that back a little bit, but not much. So in 2000, uh, I believe it was around 2009, 2010, Michelle Obama took this as an initiative, planted a garden in the White House, which has now been, you know, uh, plowed up and, and uh, turned back into grass by the Trumps. And she planted a garden in the White House and she started talking about this. 
and the right wing just went nuts. Oh my God, she's going to kill our children. She's denying us freedom and choice and all the, how can the, how, we can't tolerate this. This is unbelievable. That Michelle Obama is saying that we need to be feeding our children vegetables. How, how dare she? Are you hearing from any of those people, those conservative scolds, anything about Trump saying that we should be shooting up bleach? Well, technically, he said we should be shooting up disinfectants. He didn't even say, he, he wondered, if we, let's, to be totally accurate, he wondered out loud, would that help? Some scientists should check that out. Right. I mean, it's like little memes like that get out there. The Tide Pod thing, the smoking bananas when I was a teenager. I mean, it's just, you get these, although that was not, you know, incredibly toxic. But uh, Volatile Mermaid tweets, Calm down, Trump just suggested injecting people with bleach. It's not like he said anything really dangerous, like when Michelle Obama suggested the kids should eat vegetables. The Republicans, by the way, who acquitted Donald Trump, we had an opportunity to remove this man from office before this disaster happened. In December, when we were just learning of this, in early January, when we were just learning of this, you know, the, the Chinese announced it at the end of December, the intelligence services were sharing it with Israel in November and probably other countries as well. We know about Israel because it made the Israeli newspapers. In November, we knew that this thing was coming, or at least that it was in China and it was probably going to spread around the world. The specific intelligence that was shared with Israel was, here's how it will play out if this infection goes wild in the Middle East. This was in November of last year. So we had an opportunity to replace Donald Trump with at least Mike Pence. I can't, you know, as much as I dislike Mike Pence, I keep remembering the time that I debated him at a talkers convention and he was just like pulling stuff out of his backside. And it, it was just, it was crazy. But as much as I dislike Mike Pence and, and I have no respect for his integrity. He is a man who has no integrity. He's a guy who used to write op-eds saying that tobacco doesn't cause cancer. When his family owned a company called Tobacco Road, which was a small chain of basically kind of 7-Eleven kind of stores that sold mostly tobacco uh, that has since gone out of business. But at least Mike Pence wouldn't go on national television and speculate about shooting up disinfectants and, and exposing the inside of your body to UVC light, which destroys DNA. And who are the people who are running for re-election this year in six, eight months who kept him in place? Martha McSally in Arizona, Cory Gardner in Colorado. They, 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 Cory Gardner said, no, keep, keep Trump in office. He's good. Kelly Loeffler in Georgia. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, keep him there. David Perdue in Georgia. Susan Collins in Maine. Joni Ernst in Iowa. Steve Daines in Montana. Tom Tillis in North Carolina. John Cornyn in Texas. And, of course, Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. If you live in any of those states, if there's anything that you can do to support the Democrats, the Democrat who is running against any of those candidates in this election. And don't forget about amymcgrath.com. She's taking on Mitch McConnell and she's, she's really moving forward. Do whatever you can because, you know, we've, we've 
got to replace these toxic Republican senators who are enabling this stuff, who helped Mitch McConnell author this massive multi-hundred billion dollar bailout, multi-trillion dollar bailout of the biggest corporations and the billionaires in America. And the small companies got screwed and you and I got screwed and, you know, they're, they're just going to keep doing it. The Republican Party bows at the altar of the ultra-rich and the corporate. They are shills for billionaires and big corporations. They don't even like small corporations. And we need, we need to excise them from our body politic by replacing them with good Democrats. And I emphasize good. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So let's get inside the Democratic Party. Let's make the Democratic Party more progressive. And let's really promote our progressive candidates. Mikey in Seattle, Washington. Hey, Mikey, what's up? Good morning, Tom. My uh, first time caller, a little nervous. And uh, I want to say I have ADD. And your book has been a great help. My uh, licensed nurse practitioner has me on a, can I say? Sure. It's gabapentin. I'm on Medicare, and it's affordable. I've got a scenario for you, and I hope I can get through it. Me and seven or eight poor, hardworking Americans have an audience with the President Trump. We have one African-American, one Native American, one Asian-American, one Muslim-American, one Christian-American, and a couple randomly chosen poor, hardworking Americans. All parties are allowed to speak. I approach the podium and remind the president that all of us have family members that have fought and died for democracy for this country. I have one question. I'd like to know if the president can look any of my friends in the eye. That's all. That's all I have. Okay. Michael, it's... I get your voice, and I, I get... What a challenge that is. Mikey, thank you very much. It's, you know, there are many of us who are, I, you know, I think, experiencing something between rage and despair over this situation and how bad it is. Um, Mikey, thanks for the call. That was a brave thing you did. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 